Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Michael Potters, the CEO of the Glenmont Group, an executive search firm that focuses on legal technology and works with law firms, corporate legal departments, and providers of legal services. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great, Ari. It's great to talk again. I do remember we were just chatting at a master's conference years ago, and I think another time, but I always like connecting with you for a bunch of reasons. I learn a lot from you, and we're neighbors. I like that. I always feel fortunate when we speak. So tell us about your background and your work with the Glenmont Group. We founded the Glenmont Group, my wife Katie and I, 23 years ago, really because it was a change of life and a change of career. We didn't really know what to do. I had knowledge of the legal technology space. This was pre-e-discovery. It was e-discovery, it just wasn't called it that. It was scanning and coding, basically, with the services still being done locally and sometimes overseas in the Philippines and in, in India. And we wanted to start our own business and we looked at a bunch of different things and we saw a real void in the way staffing and recruiting was done in the legal technology space. So we decided to roll the dice and start a company. And we started a company called the Glenmont Group 23 years ago. And it just kept going and going and the whole world grew around us. And it started all of a sudden e-discovery got branded and then forensics and cyber got branded and InfoGov got branded. And we were doing all those things and everything just grew underneath us. And it was very easy for us to move our business from the providers to the law firms, to the corporate legal departments. The latest thing that we've done about five years ago, we moved into placing attorneys, though really with a specialty in privacy attorneys and e-discovery attorneys and partners that have that background, though we have done others in that area too. And we do we do all the way on up to C-level positions. How would you describe the state of the job market in the areas that you cover? Well, it's changed dramatically for a bunch of different reasons. It's changed a lot, probably since the last time we've talked. A lot of things have happened. Technology has changed dramatically. Uh, COVID came. The return to office issues came. Issues with DNI, diversity and inclusion, have gotten bigger and much more complicated. So that's changed the market quite a bit, and it's changing what people are looking for. Easily, five to ten years ago, five percent of our placements were around electronic discovery. Now, there's probably about twenty-five percent of our placements. Now, because they've morphed into a bunch of other things, really with a more focus on privacy and AI and uh, data science being enormous for us right now. What types of roles do you see in highest demand? Oh, data science. Oh, God, that's very easy. It's very easy for us to figure that out because we're the ones that get the orders. We have more data science positions than we could possibly fill with a knowledge of data science or at least a knowledge of AI on it. And it's not just data scientists and it's not just AI engineers. It's just having the knowledge and the understanding. So we're actually placing people who were in e-discovery, but really morphed their career towards privacy, towards AI, towards data science, and they're getting the roles as opposed to the ones who didn't move their career forward. So anything around data science is enormous. Stuff with AI is enormous. And privacy has been great for us. We tried to get into privacy very early on, with my involvement with some of the privacy organizations. And privacy was always looked at as a cost center dealing with InfoGov and privacy. Do we really have to deal with it? Then 
all these famous breaches that have happened at the major AMLAW firms and the major corporations have changed that and it's no longer being looked at as a cost center. It's being looked at as a necessity that if we want to be forward-thinking firm or a forward-thinking company, we better have our privacy ducks in a row. What types of organizations you work with many different kinds of law firms, corporate legal departments, outside providers, what types offer the best roles today? I think probably now, I wouldn't have said this years ago, I think now, finally, the law firms have the best roles. It's not too different than the early days of e-discovery, where the light bulb went off and when e-discovery was happening, nobody really understood what it was. Then the lawyers that were working at the law firms were like, oh, wow, if I pivot and understand e-discovery, there's going to be a career path for me that's going to be quite large. And it grew all around them and the level of importance grew. The law firms now are really investing, particularly the larger and law firms, but they're investing a lot into data privacy, into um, data science. So I would say most of the better positions are at the law firms. Corporate legal have positions, but not as many as the law firms have, though they're, some of them are pretty good. The challenge with corporate legal is they don't pay what the law firms pay. I should get that out there if nobody cares, if anybody cares, I'm sorry. They don't pay because of pay bans. They slot you in a pay ban, the corporations. And so I always joke, they want $300,000 skill set for $120,000 on that. And doesn't really happen quite as much as the providers and doesn't happen in the law firms because they can honestly pay for what they want on the thing. The law firms pay a little bit better. Right now, I'd say the law firms had the better positions. The positions that the providers are a little bit different. They're more for on the delivery side or on the revenue side. When you work for a provider, there's only two things that are important. Top line revenue, all they care about, or EBITDA. So you either make them money or save them money. So if you can articulate that in your discussions and then you have the background in these areas, then you're going to get hired and get good money and the things. But that's what's important at the providers. Hopefully that answered that question. What do you see motivating the current wave of recruiting in legal? Even at the law firm, revenue is king. Everybody's looking for revenue. So the partners care about PPP, profits per partner. So anything that can help them win projects and win new clients or take clients away from other big AMLA firms, their eyes are wide open to it. There's a thing out there called the security scorecard. I don't know if everybody, anybody knows. I know certain people know it. A lot of people don't know. Security scorecard has all the AMLA firms and it puts a valuation on them in 10 different areas of security and it gives them a grade of A to F, like middle school. And it's great if you have an A, but that F jumps out. And if that F jumps out and a company like Vanguard or a company like Citibank sees that you have an F in there, you're not getting their work. They know that now and the partners are figuring that out. So they're like, well, wait a minute, we have to fix that. We didn't get that job because we had got an F or a D or a C here. And they went with this other firm because it had higher grades on the thing. That's pushing some of the recruiting needs and it, it is being hyper-focused in some of the areas of, of privacy and security. What lingering impact has COVID had on staffing in the legal industry? The biggest impact on COVID is RTO, the return to office. It's an enormous issue and it's not clear and it's also confusing geographically. So where we live in the New York suburbs, so any of the mass transit suburbs, New York, Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, DC, any of the mass transit suburbs, they're having an enormous issue RTO, getting people back in the office. The reason they're having that is when COVID happened, everybody got to work from home. 
their work didn't get impacted. Their work probably got better. They were working actually longer hours, not more hours, but longer hours, because they'd wake up in the morning at seven o'clock and they'd worked on nine, 10 o'clock at night because they didn't have to get dressed up and they'd get the work done. And they got to see their kids play or their kids' lacrosse game or whatever the things that were help around with their partner. They don't want to come back to the office at all. And they're being ordered back to the office, though, ironically, a lot of the people who are ordering them back to the office are not in the office, but they're ordering them back to the office. So that's created a huge issue. So we get phone calls constantly. My company is making me go back to the office. I just need something where I can work remotely again. Find me a remote job. If it pays the same, I'll be happy. I'd even consider it for less. We never heard that before. When recruiting, everybody wants more money and more money or a better opportunity. But now, because they want to work remotely, they are willing to take less. So what's interesting, I had a conversation with somebody and they said, is this an issue everywhere? They go, it's not an issue everywhere. It's a quasi issue in many places. But I said, this is what's happening. The millennials don't mind going back to the office. They don't mind because they get to hang out with their friends, get to go to the bars in New York or Philly or whatever the places are afterwards, get go to their apartment. They don't really mind being back in the office. The empty nesters don't mind being back in the office because they want to get out of the house and they want some interaction and they want to go back in the office. So the empty nesters are fine going back to the office. We're fine again. But 75% of the talent lies in the middle. It's sitting there with people who have kids and have home issues. And those have been the challenging people to get back in the office. So that was one of the impacts on that, on COVID. On I would say that's actually the biggest impact, to be honest. Has AI had any immediate impact on recruiting yes. in legal? Yes, for a couple of reasons. So one is that many companies are using AI to do the work that more entry-level people were doing. I don't want to say lower level because that's not fair, but they're using AI and chat to do a lot of that work and it's eliminating some positions. So those positions are forcing people into the job market. So that's one of the impacts. But the other thing that's interesting is there are smart people who have leveraged and got their knowledge up on AI. And rather than being intimidated by chat, they're like, okay, I'm gonna learn everything I can. I'm gonna be the best prompter in chat. And I'm gonna be the person who's gonna manage what sits on top of the stuff that we do with AI. And they've, if you look at their profiles on LinkedIn, or anywhere that they're promoting their profiles, you see them promoting their usage of AI. So the smart people are leveraging it to get jobs to stand out, and but other people might be losing the job. So that's the impact of AI. And I think it's just gonna keep growing and growing and growing. But I don't think AI, I'm not one of those people, I've been doing this for 24 years and I've seen so many things that were gonna ruin people's careers and ruin jobs. I just see it changing. And if you're willing to change, if you're willing to change, you're gonna get a job. I do want to add this to this. I know you're not asking this. This is a very interesting thing that we've picked up is that lately, and I'd say over the last three years, I don't see as much of an issue of ageism and I don't see as much of an issue on sexism uh, on positions. So I'm working on a CIO position and a chief counsel for privacy. They're paying the exact same for females, regardless of gender or males. It's the same thing. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they now have to publish what the what the compensation is going to be. That's a little bit of it. But they generally want what's in people's brain. So if you have the knowledge in your brain, they don't really care that you're 55 years old or 48 years old. They want the knowledge more than the... They'd much rather have a knowledgeable person who's doing something who's at the tip of the spear, as opposed to at the back end of the spear, as opposed to somebody who graduated from a great program at 
Georgia Tech or Columbia University whose knowledge is not up. To all of my listeners around the world, I just want to clarify that Michael is not in any way saying that if you're 48 or 55, you're old or end of your career. I'm 68. No, I, I'll stop. Full disclosure. <laughs> I'm not. I'm sorry about that, but yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I, so <laughs> so uh, what advice do you have for those who are looking to either elevate their roles or looking for something new? Really? Utilize LinkedIn. I'm blown away how few people truly utilize LinkedIn. They connect with people like it's a collecting a baseball card. That's not really it, right? Utilize LinkedIn for knowledge. The knowledge that LinkedIn has is staggering. That's why Microsoft bought it. Staggering what they have there. So look at LinkedIn and try to find people who have backgrounds that are similar to yours, but have taken their career to a path and a place that you want to take your career to and look to see what they did. Look at the certifications that they might've done. Look at how they define themselves and the roles that they did. Also look at job descriptions, which are not perfect, but not bad. Look at the most recent job descriptions because you know uh, law firms, providers, corporations, they're hiring for the needs that are happening right now. Look to see what the needs are and see if the background that you have matches that. And if not, figure out how long it takes to get there. And if it takes a year, figure out what you have to do. If it takes three years, I coach people all the time on the kind of things that they have to do to get their career looking like that. But I would certainly rebrand yourself. And if you don't like the way your LinkedIn look, because listen, I have to say this, people don't discover you by a resume. Your resume gets lost in a portal and algorithms. People discover you by look going on your LinkedIn profile. That's how they look. They're looking at keywords. So make sure that you understand what you want to do, where you want to take your career to, and get your profile to look that way so it's picked up when people do searching, not just recruiters like myself, but internal hiring managers. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Michael Potter, the CEO of the Glenmont Group, an executive search firm that focuses on legal technology and works with law firms, corporate legal departments, and outside providers. Michael, thanks so very much. Thank you. It was great talking to you again. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.